My name is Sean Jordan. Welcome to the Adaptive Outdoorsman Podcast. Here we'll be discussing the history and legacy behind disabled hunters, trappers, anglers, and how they adapt and persevere in the woods, on the line, and on the water. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Meat Eater crew member, Wired to Hunt podcast co-host, and one of the best whitetail hunters in the country, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. So I just want to get into the nitty-gritty of it first off and say um, thank you for coming on. I'm, I've been trying to figure out how to get Meat Eater crew members on my show for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you went and scraped the bottom of the barrel and you got one, buddy. Hey, the bottom of the barrel is still a barrel. <laughs> and like I said, you are one of the best whitetail hunters that Meteor can say is on their website. <laughs> <laughs> but so, and I, I've been listening to Wired Hunt on the occasion when I have the niche for wanting to listen to anything at work. And I learned a lot of things from you about staging areas and whatnot, and it actually helped out. So that actually Good. works out. So at least you, you seem surprised that my advice was relevant. No, no, no. I was, so for me as a uh, ground blind hunter, I didn't realize where we were setting up when my mom was, I was hunting on private land and we were put, putting up a ground blind. And I didn't even know what it was called. We just saw my stepdad had cut out some lawn or whatnot, you know, trying to expand into the um, brush on the on the ten acres he's got. And then you're like, "Oh, it's a staging area." I'm like, "Yeah, this is a staging area. A small three sided. You can see out into open field." And yeah, that's where I took my buck this past year too. So that's good, man. They yeah. are. They are one of the most important things to understand about whitetail movement, I think. Yeah, I don't hunt. It's like I said, it's only nine acres. I don't hunt deep into the woods. I probably could because there's some big trees in there. But yeah, the doe usually show up in the mid, you know, right in the field area. So, yep. So that's where I've been hunting. And plus it's hard to miss when it's that close. How close was it? He was 20 yards. He had literally just popped out. I had, I made a bad shot in my opinion because I like doing the double lung. So, but I was able to get a lung and then, so a direct horizontal shot. So it took part of the um, stomach with it, I think. Because when I went to do the cleaning thing, I felt a straw, uh, cherry tomato. So, yep, man, at, you know, when I was growing up, everything was straight broadside, you know, double lung is your shot, mm-hmm. but you get a little angle on that. You know, like my favorite shot now is quartered away, you know, pull it back in the ribs a little bit and run it up through everything. And, you know, I mean, you're still in the ribs and you're still aiming for both lungs, but you start getting a little angle on that arrow running through there, you know, your bullet or whatever. And it's, it does good things for you. Yeah. I mean, I saw the, uh, when I was doing the necropsy on it, you know, just looking, 
it hit right where I was supposed to on the one side, and it came out right about belt level on the other side. A clean so pass. It was was it quartered to you a little bit? Yeah, he was. So he had come forward in, and he'd walked about about five about three yards out of the uh, thicket and all the brush. And when I moved the crossbow and aimed down sight on him, he looked at me, but that wasn't enough to change it. So I think I just, I didn't give him enough time because I think I was starting to do have target panic on, Oh crap. If he gets out of range or cause I got a nice little piece of wood right there in the blind that if he hits that area, I'm not going to have a good shot. And so I think yeah. that's what I did this year. And he had a cherry tomato in his stomach. Yeah. Cherry tomatoes. You know, I never knew that deer ate tomatoes. I didn't know it either. Either that or it was one heck of an oversized berry. Yeah. I bet, the I whole, bet it was a cherry tomato. I mean, I could see them eating it. I've just never even, I've never heard yeah. of that. I've never thought about it. The hardest part is I think the broadheads cut the cherry tomato on, on the top because it was opened with a perfect cut. So that was oh. kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. Northeast Indiana hunting. The one, uh, and I, 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 I have a gripe about Northeast Indiana hunting in general. How it's classified as a sleeper state, yet we got some of the best whitetail hunting in the five states around us. <laughs> well, and I don't. I wouldn't say that Indiana is really unknown as as a place to head to to hunt whitetails. Yeah. Well. And I, I say this, I'll take a Hoosier bruiser over a, an Iowa giant. But like I said, that's just my bias. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Have you ever hunted Iowa? I have yet to hunt anybody but Indiana. So that's kind of the bias. But yeah, Iowa is a different world, man. It is Candyland, but it sure is fun. Uh, I have just, to. Oh, yeah. Well, you I see a lot of deer down there. Yeah. I my I cut my teeth on public land, so I got within five five minutes of me at my house up reservoir, and then I got another ten minutes away. I got another reservoir, so I've got public land for days. Thank God, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. So, when how did you get started in hunting? Oh man. You know, my dad, I was just, I was just one of those bloodthirsty little kids. You know, you handed me a BB gun when I was six, seven, eight years old and I was hunting sparrows and whatever else. And my dad was, you know, always identified as a bow hunter. You know, he was a pheasant hunter and he had gun hunted a little bit for deer and whatever else, but his thing was bow hunting deer. And so for me, it was like, man, when I turn 12, that's what I'm going to be doing. And it just, it was just one of those things that I just could not, and we hunted and fished a lot, but I could not get enough bow hunting whitetails. And it came from my father. Nice. So did that later, what later made that transpire? Dear good Lord, I can get my words together. Transfer over to outdoor writing. Man. So I grew up, I love to read. And I always have loved to write, but, you know, I grew up with, you know, my parents were like, you just go get a job and 
you work that for 35 years and you retire kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember reading, you know, Field and Stream and Outdoor Life and whatever else when I was growing up and just being like, you know, man, I, I would love to be a writer and I would love to write about hunting and fishing. But it was like never, it never felt like an actual possibility. And then I had a few... I had a few times in high school and college where I had, you know, teachers or professors who were like, Hey, you should probably, you know, see where you can go with this, you know? And so I ended up just trying to write for what, wherever I could, you know, a little newspapers and it just turned into something that kind of, you know, spiraled. Cause that, that world then was pretty small, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a different thing now with everybody has their own platform and, you know, every brand has blogs and, you know, whatever, everybody's creating content, but it wasn't, it wasn't that way when I started out, you know, you had magazines and you had newspapers. And so it wasn't like a huge world. So if you did a good job for one editor, he was probably going to tell somebody else. And so I just, I kind of hit the sweet spot and I got really, really lucky. Yeah. So what year would you say that was for you? The, so the first year that I published something that I got paid for was 2003. Hmm. That was the year I graduated high school. Oh, really? Yeah. That was the year I graduated college <laughs> and it did, but it did not take off for me. It took some years. Uh, yeah. You know, I did a lot of odd jobs. I did a lot of other stuff in the process of working up to a full time career. What's that? A little bit of factory work. So I did factory work in high or in, yeah, well, in my summers of college, I would go back home and I would work at uh, IBM in Rochester. And what I did was I loaded discs into a machine and the machine polished them. And then I unloaded discs out and I was like, we did, we did 12 days on two days off. Yeah. And so it was miserable. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. But it, it kind of, you know, it helped me pay for college, which was the point obviously, but it yeah. was all, I was also like, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I got to find something else. And I mean, I ended up working at Cabela's. I ended up working for a financial company. I sold wine. I had a whole bunch of different things I cobbled together while I was trying to be a writer. And it just, it's got lucky, man. Yeah. Well, I've read several of your articles, especially on the web media website, and they're very knowledgeable. They definitely could teach me a few things about writing because I got a few <laughs> ideas for my niche which i really need to get that through but i I like them i really do thank you i mean learning about whitetail from your perspective is cool and that's that's one of the many reasons why i wanted you on the show because i wanted to get your take on how you would approach from a ground game perspective hunting especially with people with disabilities who cannot climb tree stands, who cannot do saddles Mm -hmm. and are stuck with very limited areas because I got, I talked to people who I don't know if you've seen them before track chairs, Mm -hmm. those things cannot get into deep woods. I know there's a few other things like the coyote, the outrider coyote that can go do more open prairie style things, you know, like go up and elk hunt because I've actually talked to a lady who elk hunted with a coyote. And then there's a few other ones in there, but you know, it's very ground game oriented. It's not tree stand. 
Yep. And so how would you approach that from a ground game perspective? Well, I, man, I do a lot of ground hunting, you know, especially with my little girls hunting and I've just, I've started to embrace it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to rub it in, but it's, you know, one of the reasons we sit in trees a lot or I mm-hmm. sit in trees a lot is obviously because it's, you know, you can see more, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you have to film or whatever, it's just a way better scenario, but if I want to set up something to kill a deer, a lot of times it's a ground blind. You know, you can't see as much. You're more limited that way, but you can set those up. So you have that 20 yard shot from the ground, which is awesome. So I do, I do a fair amount of it. Um, I would say, you know, like from the perspective of having a little trouble getting in and getting out, maybe having limited setups, I, I see a lot of people and this is so variable, right? Depending on your spot, mm-hmm. but people go, well, I'm going to go set up right on the edge of the bean field. Cause that's where all the deer are. And it's like, right. You're going to get a couple hunts out of there and then they're going to have you figured out. Cause you're going to have to get out of there and you're probably going to make your presence really well known. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why I like staging areas that you and I were talking about off air and just like season long, pinch points or funnels or fence crossings or river crossings, something that's like, I like where you can slip in brush in a blind really well. And they're coming through there. It's not the destination, right? It's not the destination food source. It's not the bedding area where, you know, the odds are pretty good that when you get out, they're going to know because then you're, then you're just on a limited, you know, you're going to have diminishing returns with each sit, but you know, if you, if you can get into a staging area or something and those deer are moving past you, and even if you have to leave to go out and you're probably going to spook them, they're not associating that exact blind yeah. with you. You know what I mean? It's like a different impact. And so I would, I would really look at it that way. And the, the other thing that I do with blinds, with everyone that I set up for people is like, you can't brush them in too well. Like you can't make them, and I, I know you might be talking about some permanent blinds too, or something that's mm-hmm. not just a hub style pop up. But the more that you get in there, that's like uh, hanging over the top, and it's giving you depth. So not only are you hidden inside, you know, wearing your black or whatever, and and just trying to do the the normal ground blind thing, but the more depth you get to them, like the less likely it is that 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 doe you don't want to shoot walks by and and picks you out or whatever, you know, like it's, it's a little thing you can do to just minimize the amount of times they're like, Nope, I don't like that. (laughs) Like, I know there's something going on there and it just, it changes everything. And I learned that with my little girls. Cause like to get them into position to shoot is like, there's going to be some movement. There's going to be some whispering. There might be, you know, a clunk on the chair or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it just, it bought us like a little bit of grace by just really brushing them in. So you have this tunnel to shoot through just about. And so yeah. it's get it kind of makes it harder because you can't see as much out of the windows and like you don't have, you know, you have a kind of a truncated view. But man, stuff like that is kind it's it's a difference maker for preserving some natural movement. Yeah. I think I need to do some upgrades on the permanent blind I have because I got a two foot tall window that's about six feet wide and Got an open side on one side. I mean, you and I could literally sit in there with director's chairs, stand full height, and not flinch, and we'd be able to shoot with a crossbow or bow easily. Yep. And but the trade-off is, yeah, they can see inside. Yeah. 
And that that's just, it, it's a very hard thing for people to do is to mm -hmm. limit their view. <laughs> like we always want to go the other way. Yeah. It's like, open up, let me see more. And yep. then, Oh, Hey, they can see more. I was, but it, I, I mean, I was, Oh, yep. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> sorry. That, that is the problem that hunters have. I mean, it's just a natural inclination that we want to see more. Mm -hmm. And so you see, that's why so many people hunt field edges and that's why so many people hunt power lines and, and big views. And we, we, we take that on that macro level and then we take it on the micro level. And if you put, like, if you put somebody who's new to hunting and you put them in a pop-up ground blind and you don't give them any instruction, they're going to open every one of those windows. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they just are. Yeah. And, but if you know what you're doing, you're like, you set up for this shot there and here's my window, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've got open field to my right, staging area to my left, and I'm smack dab right in the middle. And so I can get either shot, but yeah, I can be seen, especially since the sun's rising to my right and early mornings, I'm being lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, a, that's another factor. Mm-hmm. Open fields, and if you're facing said open field and you don't have the ability to shade yourself, have a nice day. Yep. But yep. I got lucky uh, this past uh, hunt, this past season. I still got a muzzleloader tag I got to fill, hopefully before the end of the season. But I got lucky. My first deer was a doe, and she spotted me. I think this was about a year and a half old or so. You know, but almost almost two years old or maybe two and a half year old about 35 pounds of meat basically so i'm reading something i think it was an email or whatnot i look up she's off to my right looking at me i'm like crap she's gonna blow she stomps a little bit and whatnot and i just slowly back up you know trying not to give off the presence of please don't you know blow Luckily, she doesn't, and she takes off. So I'm like, okay. I go back to doing my thing, and I look over, and she's back. And she's stomping at me this time. And, you know, snorting a little bit. Not enough to raise hell or whatnot. But So I actually, I'm doing a full movement thing. I put my hand on the edge of the blind trying to get in position here, aiming at her. And then she takes off a full... 70 yards out of the field area away from me she's gone and so i'm like okay cool i get out my uh phelps game call buck grunt the beta pro and i do a little grunt guess who comes back within 20 yards I'm like up oh, yep we've uh we've made that decision starting to sound like a year and a half old doe to me yeah, yeah. it's like You've made your decision. A little too and much so, curiosity in that one. Oh, that game call called in three yearling fawns, one of which was a button. Yep. And then the next week, actually, it was the day after I had harvested her. I was, uh, it actually, it was a couple of days after I had harvested her. I was picking up my meat in Peru where the game, uh, processor was at i get a notification on my trail cam i only got one cell trail camera of the entire area that's pointed out towards the field 
a 10 point buck shows up. I'm racing back an hour and a half trying to get in. Who um, missed out on that opportunity, but then it was the 17th when I harvested the buck and yeah, he showed up to the game call and that's all she wrote on him. That's he awesome. traveled, I think 25 yards and laid down. I'm getting out. I'm like, crap, there's no blood. I know I hit him. And then I look up and I see in the brush line, he's looking at me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk this way. And you have a nice day. How long did you leave him? Uh, I hit, hit him at 517 on the dot because he crossed right in front of my trail camera. So I got the exact time on that. And I left and I came back about 530, 538 or so. He was gone. He'd laid down and that's all she wrote on him. Wow. That's so. Cool. Yep. My impatience almost pushed a buck, uh, 10 point buck out of the area. And I'm like, crap, not as bad as my first time hunting where I actually did chase the buck till he vanished. Well, you got to give him some time, man. Yeah. I wish I knew that my first day, my first day hunting, because I actually did uh, do a lethal shot on a buck and, yep, missed him because of it. There, it is like very, very hard to be patient after the shot. Mm. And it is always a good idea to be patient. Yeah. I think I, I think I want to actually make it a rule to set up a timer on my phone saying, sit down and wait. And when this thing goes off, then you can get up. Yeah. Well, I mean, really for most of us, the best thing to do is get out if you can. Yeah. Just because it's, it's too tempting. If you sit there, you're like, Oh, I'll sit here for another half hour, 45 minutes. And then I'll leave. Or it's just like, just get out, go do something else. Go have some dinner with the family whatever. Yeah. Take some time and then come back. Pretty much just bye-bye. I'm not going to be around the area. I'm not going to think about it. Because that's pretty much what I did afterwards. I mean, I went up to my mom and stepdad's prop, uh, you know, the front of the property near the pool barn. And I'm just shooting the, sh- the breeze with my stepfather, and yeah, just relaxing, not stressing, not shaking anymore. Yep. And that was the best decision I've ever made. I mean, normally when I do the double lung, the perfect double lung you hear them crash and you know, I don't have to wait. Yeah. But he didn't crash and I'm like, crap. Yeah. I think this year is a big learning curve for me in terms of patience. I made some not so great shots that could have cost me. Yeah. Patience is real important, man. Yeah. (laughs) In a lot of different facets of hunting. Yeah. I was trying to hunt squirrels recently and not kidding you. He was about a 20 yard shot from me and I'm using iron sight 22 and I missed twice. (laughs) I'm like, I had this guy dead to rights. What the heck happened? (laughs) You get a scope on there, buddy. Yeah. I, I think I like it for the challenge of it. Pretty much. It's like, okay, how good can I get? Because I know if I get a scope on there, that thing's dead. Yeah. 
I think I think the no scope is like uh, bow hunting, basically. Yeah, I used to do a lot of small game hunting with a little uh, twenty-two pistol that I had, a little Browning Buck Mark, mm-hmm. and it was so fun because of that the challenge. But I was like, I'm going to go deaf from this gun. I can't because I couldn't. I couldn't. I wouldn't remember enough to put you know earplugs in or whatever to shoot and yeah. when we would rabbit hunt with it you'd shoot a lot and i'm like it's just way too loud yeah i use a 10 ruger so yeah i changed out the stock on it so it's a little more comfortable for me everybody's like, got a 10 ruger <laughs> i was like i like this and but i didn't like the wooden stock yeah because i had to i wanted to make it more vertical of a grip so it felt more comfortable for me because my right arm doesn't lock out properly. And there's certain things where holding the arm is just weird. So the, the pistol style grip works well. That's what I got on my Benelli too. Mm-hmm. Makes me very lethal wing shooting. So That's says the, the uh, bird that I shot this year. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of bird? Uh, not the bird I was wanting to hunt. <laughs> I think it was an Oriole on accident. <laughs> oh, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> no, but yeah, seeing that thing, uh, stop and then fall to the ground was definitely, I know I'm good at shooting at least. <laughs> what were you hunting? Morning dove. Oh yeah. So at least it wasn't, too far off but yeah <laughs> yeah i know far enough man yeah i don't do morning dove enough to keep remembering things on that one i think this was my second year no third year hunting morning dove so so pretty oh you know so when did you get with Wired to Hunt? Oh, man. Well, I I started being a guest on there probably in like 20, maybe 2016. Mark reached mm-hmm. out and we kind of just got to know each other. And then uh, 2020, they asked me to film some Back 40 stuff with them. So I had started writing for Meat Eater in 2019. And then 2020, mm-hmm. they asked me to go out and do some stuff for the Back 40. And then I got the offer to come on in a larger capacity. And hmm. so I, I guess I've been there, you know, three, well, in some capacity, four years, but full time, maybe, you know, two and a half, three years, something like that. Yeah. So now getting with the mediator capacity, how did that change from being a writer for that to being full time with mediator? There's a lot more filming with mediator <laughs> and i I find my, and a lot more social media and I find myself and it's just, this is just the way things were going, but I didn't know how good I had it when I was just a writer and a photographer, (laughs) you know, like I kind of, I could really kind of do my own thing. And, you know, I mean, it's a high output as far as assignments, but it was, it was a nice lane. I didn't, I did film a little bit through one of my contracts, but that was, I had a lot of autonomy there and meat eater is a different beast. You know, it's, it's really, it's fun with the podcasting with meat eater. Cause they know what they're doing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the article thing is fun. I'd, I'd like to write a little more, maybe do a book or something. Um, but the filming is a, is a heavy lift, but yeah. it, I also, you know, in, in my past life working for bow hunter and wherever else I was, the pressure to go do like a guided hunt somewhere, you know, was like, that was it. Like, that's what you go do. Cause then you have the highest odds of killing something and you have to put in the least amount of work. Mm-hmm. But I hated it. Like, I was like, this is just really not my jam. I don't really like being told to go sit here or go do this or, you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. I, I, and it was like, really all I am is a trigger man for this show. And so for meat eater at, at you know, I'll say this. They're like, well, what do you want to go do? Like, what's, what do you think is cool? What do you want to show? And, you know, like I have to stick to the whitetail world largely, but you know, I did a Turkey show last year. I did a fishing show. Um, I did film pretty heavy on the whitetail side of things, but I got to do public land hunts the way mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know? So I got to hunt with Steve down in Oklahoma and film that show and do a public land hunt in North Dakota and just kind of control things. So that's been, they're pretty good about that stuff. Like yep. if, if I'm like, Hey, I think the audience wants this more than another, you know, primo hunt somewhere. Yeah. Go do it. So I, I really, I like that. I'd like to, for my own personal taste, and my audience has heard me say this a thousand times by now, but I'd like to do a mountain sheep or a mountain goat hunt. And it's really not about the animal, more so the mountain. Because I think I told you this before we started the podcast. I'm in pain every step I take. And it just going up that thing is the challenge I want. And that would be something I'd love to just share with the world. And that I'd like to do like a, if I were to do like a TV show sort of thing, like filming wise, I'd like to do like a dirty jobs meets meat eater way. Almost like, Hey, we're coming here to hunt with you or fish with you or trap you a certain way. It, you know, like disabled outdoorsmen going there and, you know, just hunting and fishing with them and trapping and go from there. Nothing like, oh, you've got to get this. It's more relaxed almost, in my opinion. Yep. Of course, Those are I don't two know. Those are very if, different things. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if it would be because the way people keep describing outdoor television media. Yeah. It can be pretty authentic. Yeah. Like I, that, that's one of the things I was, you know, I'm pretty lucky and I got to do that hunt with Steve this year and just watch how he operates. And he, you know, kind of damn near operates like there isn't a camera there. He's like, you better get this on the first shot because I'm not recreating anything. And that was pretty different from what I was kind of used to. Yeah. And so it's a little bit cinema verte that way where you're like, you're capturing it in the moment and whatever, but it's still, it's a different beast. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it changes things in a lot of different ways. Having somebody following you. Yeah. I don't know how I would react to that, but I like the honesty of Steve's approach on that. The way you describe it as I'm going to do this. If I fail at it, sorry or if i'm successful and you didn't capture it that's on you not me yeah 
And I like yeah. that because he, he's doing the thing that he wants to do. And he's not saying, okay, I've got to wait for a guy to tell me what, when to take the shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's got a little crew that of guys that are, they know the assignment and they just show up and do it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, if you're in that role, you have to have somebody who's running the camera who has that attitude, mm-hmm. you know? But I mean, it's like, that's like, you know, you mentioned the articles are right for meat eater or whatever. And it, there's constant pressure to like, you know, how to kill a buck in this situation, how to kill a buck in this situation. This like take you right from A to Z in 700 words or a how to video or whatever. But when you, when you do this stuff a lot, and I know you know this, that your attitude and your mindset, like what do you have going on between the ears mm-hmm. is so much more important a lot of times than just thinking, well, it's October 12th and everybody says I should sit here. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like it's when you see, when you see people in like a, the variety of situations that I have in the hunting industry and just, just taking people, it's like the difference maker almost always is like a good attitude and some discipline, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I came this year. I decided I was going to hold out through a majority of October. I didn't see anything on camera. I didn't see any bucks, you know, cause I can see the field right as I'm visiting my, my family and I didn't see anything. I was like, I'm just going to relax. I know the rut is coming. I'll approach this, you know, closer to, and so November late, I started hunting just before Halloween, you know, one day took the kid trick or treating next day. Okay. It's time to put in some work and sure enough, it did pay off, but I knew if I had gone out during the entirety of October. I wasn't going to think about it. it was just, I wasn't going to be in the right set of mind for this one. No, that's an important thing to recognize, man. Mm-hmm. I, I like the older I get, the more, and the more time I've spent hunting, just learning from the mistakes I've made to be better at it. That's the entire thing, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Everybody wants to sell you on a tactic or a style or oh god some some thing that but the reality is it's just experience and experience is just a ton of failure in a row with a little yeah. bit of success mixed in there. Yeah. I was I had gotten download that Drury app or I I think I said the name right. It's the Deercast app. Yeah, the Deercast app. And it's like showcasing, you know, the different stages of the whitetail hunt and everything. And I'm like, if I keep paying attention to this thing, you know, cause it showcases rut and all the other stages. Well, I'm thinking to myself, if I keep paying attention to this thing, I'm going to stress myself out Yeah. because I could tell I was like, okay, put this thing down. Don't pay attention to it. Just go hunt oh. that stuff. Yeah. The, uh, I, I've never used that app. I know about it. And I'm just like, I, I I get it. I get why people like it. But I'm like, be very cautious of something that's going to talk you out of hunting. Yeah. You can no. go. Yeah. It's like, oh, 
poor conditions here, good conditions here. I took a nine-point buck two years ago after it just rained, and I talked to a buddy of mine and told him the conditions of it because I'd seen him on the trail camera two hours beforehand. He, you know, just passing through, not even giving a yep. dang. And I told my buddy, I'm like, okay, I saw him, you know, fleeting picture. Hadn't seen him since August. One image. It had rained, like I said, just freshly. I mean, it was raining while I was at work. And then I got off work and it's lightly drizzle. I'm like, should I go out? And he says, I'm going out. You should too. This is a guy that's in Arkansas. My buddy's in Arkansas. He's like, I'm going out. You should go out too. I'm like, all right. Here comes a doe. And the first, this is the first time I kid you not. I've ever heard a buck grunt in real life. And I'm, I was thinking, okay, you have my attention. Here comes a massive 140 nine point buck. And I get him perfect double lung. And had I been following like the app, which I didn't have at the time and not paying attention with a, my buddy saying, go do it. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. I'll give I'll give you a little hint. If it's about to rain, if it's raining or it just rained, you should go honey. <laughs> now that's some information I should have known. <laughs> uh, whitetails move in the rain. It, I mean, it, obviously you have frontal conditions around the front mm-hmm. side and the backside too. As long as it's not like a straight downpour. That's yeah. a, that's a little different thing, but man, if you can get out there and it's not a, it's, if it's not a straight downpour, if you're anywhere around when it's raining, you're going to do well. The same thing. If you're Turkey hunting and it's supposed to rain all day, get out on the edge of that field and get ready. Mm. They're coming out as long again, as long as it's not like a pure <laughs> downpour. Yeah. We all can't get lucky. Like, uh, Clay Newcomb in the thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> We all could. Oh, I'm not going out in a thunderstorm. No, thanks. I got no. titanium in my feet. Nah. I don't hunt in thunderstorms either, generally. Sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes they show up and you're not prepared for it. Yeah. I think I rely a little bit too much on my trail camera, but luckily it's just one camera. I don't have a plethora because that would drive me insane. Yeah. They're uh, they're a blessing and a curse, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I seen the buck finally. Okay, wait, nothing. Okay, whatever. I mean, i i used i've I used to test a lot of hunting gear when I was that bow hunter, and the amount of of you know, you could put two or three cameras on a on a tree pointed the same way, same settings the variation in what would capture what going by is nuts. It's nuts. And I, I think trail cameras probably capture maybe 30, 40, maybe 50% of the critters that walk by maybe. And again, they're great. They're fun, but people, especially with the cell camera thing, people are like, there's nothing moving. I'm not going to go. And it's like, that you let that little piece of technology in that tree talk you out of not hunting over and over and over again. And I just think that's just so dangerous. I, I keep the trail camera out the entire year. I don't pull it out in or whatnot. I just keep it out there for 
because I like seeing the whole process from, you know, seeing the yearling fawn and its spots and then seeing them turn into a yearling fawn without spots and then watch as they grow up. I mean, I'm not just going out there for, oh, this is strictly for this. I keep it out there because I actually do like watching whitetail. Yep. And so part of it's seeing what's on the list, which I don't like naming bucks because the one year I named bucks, I didn't get a single buck, which was last year. I don't name them either. Yeah. That, that's Mark Kenyon's world. Oh, I'll name them when they're on my wall. Then they can get a nickname. Yep. But yeah, I don't, I, I think that's, I, it's not superstitious. I just think it's pretty much you're trying to guarantee yourself a buck. And we all know that can't happen on the occasion. Right. And you have to be in a, a good situation to have a hit list with deer that you name and deer that you can let go. And they're going to come back next year. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And a, and a lot of people are trying to have that and it's not working very well for them. Yeah. No, I literally hunt in a bow only area. I'm on the edge of a city and bow is literally the only thing you can hunt back there for whitetail. And so knowing that you don't get a whole lot of bucks coming through, you may have five rolling through, not the 10, 20 bucks that people out in the country see. So I'm like, I'll stick with what I have. And if I see one that's big enough, I will take, but normally if it's got a big amount of, a uh, decent 120 rack. Okay, I'll take it. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I mean, the now the deer I harvested this year. I'm not kidding you. His freaking heart was as big as my hand. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, like, okay, yeah, he weighed 188 pounds before we uh, cleaned him. That's a good deer. Mm-hmm. His neck, the pulled neck roast barbecue sandwiches were great. I bet. <laughs> I was like, that's like a tradition. I get the neck roast and I make barbecue sandwiches out of them. That's, I mean, that's one fun thing about shooting big deer is there's, you know, it's like when you get an elk, you're like, man, there's just meat everywhere. Yeah. You know. This year, I specifically asked for brisket and ribs from my uh, white, t my buck this year. So if you know any recipes for brisket, I'm all ears. I've never made whitetail brisket. I'm about to this year. So, <laughs> or next year, probably. I've never, I've never like technically made whitetail ribs either. You know, you cut out the, the rib meat, but I've never yeah. done true ribs with them. Well, I've seen the art, the episode that Steve showed that with. And so I'll probably try that for now because my only other thought process was bacon weave on top of the dang thing and then treat it like that. Yeah. But yeah. So what are your thoughts on crossbows? I know we gotten, we've 
jumped all over the place, but that's usually how it goes in my podcast. We liked, we go on rabbit hole after rabbit hole. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with them. They're, yeah. they're not, they don't interest me very much. Mm-hmm. Um, just personally, my daughters hunt with them. Um, you know, we just got full inclusion in Minnesota this season mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, I've gone through it in Wisconsin and hunted quite a few States that have full on crossbow. And I really don't care anymore. You know, like I, I get the idea. I, the only thing that I, that bothers me about crossbows is there's just some kind of like disingenuous talk around them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know, like. I have I have buddies who switched this year from vertical bow to crossbow that kind of surprised me, and it's 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 an easier weapon, mm-hmm. you know, like it's it's a different thing, and I, I kind of don't like when people are like, oh, it's exactly the same as a vertical bow. I'm like, well, no. it's not because my daughters couldn't do this and they can, right? Like, so I that's the only thing that bothers me. I'm like, let's quit talking about this like it's the same weapon because it's yeah, just no. not. And you know, as long as people are as long as they're looking at it and they're going. This isn't impacting the resource to introduce this in here. Mm-hmm. If if the deer numbers are still there and the harvest isn't blowing up or whatever, I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. Yeah, you know, I know. I harvest. I've seen the harvest data from my state, and even with their introduction and being concurrent with, so crossbow and bow have the same three months, but you have to claim it as either that tag or that tag. They're not the same. It's archery season, but it's not archery, as we all know. Yep. And I classify crossbows like the bow version of a muzzleloader because you're getting one shot, maybe two if you're lucky. Yeah, real lucky. I mean, yeah, I've actually been lucky enough to do that once last year took a shot, missed, doe came back, got a good shot off on a doe. So, I like I said, if you're really lucky, otherwise they all scatter because that thing is loud as heck. Yep. And I got another gripe with crossbows is they're as old, if not older than bow and arrow, and Pope and Young doesn't recognize crossbow kills. Yep. And I think that right there hinders for people with disabilities. Because, yeah, like I said, I got a 140 buck. Well, after gross, he was 128. But still, the guy who was scoring him for me said, Pope and Young doesn't recognize crossbows. Oh. And it's like, you are literally screwing over people with disabilities who cannot harvest without a crossbow. I mean, is people. It, I don't, I'm not that familiar with this. Is there another organization that would recognize them or not? I don't believe there are. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I know people that use sip and puff triggers, and you, you ever seen one? What those do? Mm-mm. Okay, so like, take a track chair. There's a plate mounted uh, thing you can put a crossbow, a firearm on, and it just holds it into place very snugly, and it's got an actuator that pulls the trigger. Yep. And so somebody has a camera mounted for the scope and they tell you, okay, up, down, left, right, or they get aimed properly. And then you do the sip and puff and it activates the trigger and fires the weapon. 
or say uh, like my uh, buddy Mike Burnside out of uh, Oklahoma, his daughter Kinsey, he aims the fire the firearm or the crossbow for her. She sees what he's looking at and she she fires the weapon. Mm-hmm. If she were to get a Pope and Young style buck, would they they wouldn't classify it because it's a crossbow. Yeah, and so I believe that there probably needs to be either rule changes or they need to create a category different. Probably. I would, I, this is just me. I have, I have no clue whether this is true or not, but we used to do like kind of loosely be associated with Pope and young on some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would be surprised if they're going to be around 10 years from now to, you know, to let okay. anybody, I, I I don't know, man. That I think that world is, is in rough shape, and so yeah, it sucks that you can't get one entered in there. But yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like that's there's a, a lot of runway left on that organization. Yeah. I could yeah. be way wrong. I, but do you know what I would do? Hmm. I'd shoot them, and I'd be really really happy, and I'd put them on the wall. <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah. That's always the plan. Uh, I know. I yeah. My wife doesn't like uh, deer mounts, but I. So this is the third deer mount we're getting, and she's not going to be happy because it's taken over the poster. Well, I got a wife that doesn't like deer mounts either, and I got quite a few of them. So <laughs> I I think it's funny. My wife said, "Oh, if you pass away, I'm giving your mounts to your cousin." Because he's a big hunter fan, hunter too, and he's the one that got me hooked on wing shooting, like waterfowl and all that. And yeah, I think that would be probably where they're going. I'd be like, well, if I'm dead, I don't care who you give them to. <laughs> like, bury me with the big one. <laughs> yeah. So, with like uh, somebody in a track chair, and I know we're switching back a little bit, but. In I know there's ground blinds galore that you could use, but if they're wanting to do like without a ground blind, and I know some people actually have full body camo they can use while in the tractor, what would you be your advice for them? Like to hunt a natural ground blind, essentially? Yeah, pretty much they are the ground blind. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's it's all depth. I do a lot of natural ground blind hunting. What's in front of you, what's behind you, and what do you like? What shape do you represent? So, I honestly think, in some ways, natural ground blinds are more effective than any other blinds you could make because you can you can put them in places and use stuff that's right there. You know, like mm-hmm. if you have sawgrass or something, I mean, you can use that to build in a blind pretty quickly, but it's always like. A lot of people think, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just put some stuff in front of me, and that's good enough. But you need stuff behind you. You just need everything needs to be broken up. So if I was if I was in a tractor and I was gonna do this, I'd be like, what's what's my layer in front of me? What do I look like? What's behind me? Is there a tree? Is there a hillside? Is there what? We gotta have something back here, right? Brush. Just just yep, obfuscate the look, right? Like it's got to be confusing to them. And I'd probably be really interested in like a leafy suit top. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like, especially when you get out, if you, if you use a ghillie suit type of thing, um, they're a little bit of a pain cause they have a bunch of stuff hanging off of them. Yeah. But man, they really take your form and they make it kind of this blob. And when you have a little bit of wind and you have all those little leaves or, you know, what are supposed to be leaves on there moving with everything else. Yeah. It's a pretty good move. So that's, that's what I would consider doing. Or, you know, the other thing too is, you know, you can get some of that fast grass that people use for their duck blinds and uh, duck boats, whatever, carry some of that with you, layer it out. Cause grass just looks good, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can, in a lot of environments, grass looks good. Maybe not like a, deciduous forest deep shadow type thing but if you have something like that in front you got a little bit of stuff behind you deadfall whatever and you've got your form at least doesn't really represent human you can do a lot with that nice yeah i was seeing a buddy of mine uh greg trainer he went out and he shows he's uh he got a face he's got a facebook page and a home podcast called the accessible hunter and yeah, he's a quad, uh, quadriplegic and he's got this full on bodysuit gets on his, uh, gets him on him and covers the tractor a little bit. And he just, obviously he can sit still all day, Yep. And, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a really awesome thing to have. Yeah. I'd love to have that. <laughs> oh, I don't have to move to shoot. Okay. But. So have you ever, and I want to just get on this before we get out. Um, have you ever talked to Remy Warden after he had his uh, wrist injury? Nope. I, I actually don't know Remy at all. I, mm. I know a bunch of people who obviously do, yeah. uh, and he's a pretty good hunter, man. Um, I would love to get his thoughts on when he had to one hand that. Cause I've seen, I've talked to guys that are actually veterans who've lost a limb and they do that all the time. Yep. So what are your thoughts on that form of bow hunting? I dude, I think it's awesome. I mean, when he, when he was doing that and I've, I've known some, some guys, you know, who've had, you know, shoulder surgery. So they had to switch from right-handed to left-handed and relearn how to shoot. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody has something like that happen and they're like, I'm figuring this out, I'm still doing this. I just love it. Nice. I think, I think, and you, you mean, you take somebody like Remy, who's just like a, he's the best hunters in the country, you know, like he's, he's going to figure it out. And I think, I think that's why a guy like that is so freaking inspiring. Cause you look at him and go, there's, he's not going to hit the brakes. Like he's going to just figure out a way to keep moving forward. And I thought that was pretty cool that he did that. Yeah. I, uh, one of the, actually they're my first interview ever for the podcast was GX4 adaptive archery. And this guy literally makes a body mold of the person and then creates a vest or attachment to it where you can attach the bow to, and it's got a bite trigger on it to let go. So rather than have everything in your mouth and which is, you know, on site bite down on the trigger, lets everything go shoots. He made the first one for his wife. And she is a competitor on the USA para archery team. So it so it has like a, a jaws or something like a release would have. Yeah, pretty much. So they attach it to, yep. you know, with one arm, and then it goes and extends out fully. Bite, boom, shoots. Yep. Huh. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, it saves on teeth, I think. But yep, <laughs> I'd yep. say whichever one works well for you, go for it. Pretty much. Yep. Well, uh, do you want to tell anybody how to reach you? TheMeatEater.com, buddy. That's where they can find my stuff. <laughs> right. Don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Fair enough, right? Well, man, it's it's just hard. It's yeah. just hard with the volume for people who you know people who reach out mm-hmm. often want to get into an extended like email or DM conversation where you're like, I just don't, I don't have the time, man. I, uh, I'm being honest. I've sent you DMs before. Yeah, I don't check them. Uh, and it, I and understand. I'll tell you why because it this and this sucks because I I miss when I could, but. It was like, it got to the point where I was like, I'm spending days a week just corresponding with strangers who want me to look at their satellite imagery or do this or that. And everybody's like, you know, this is a little ask from them, but there's a bunch of them. They get big over time. Yeah. it, It just becomes sort of an untenable situation. And I was like, I just can't, I'm like, I'm, I, I can't do this level, this volume. And so I'm like, I got to just stop. And unless it's people you actively know, you're not going to respond to. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it's just a pure time thing Mm -hmm. and people don't, they just, a lot of people don't really respect your time. They're like, Hey, I want to talk to you about this deer. I can't kill. And I'm like, we're strangers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there's a lot of strangers out there that want to do that. And I was just like, and I, and I, I just, I, I got down that rabbit hole and I was like, I can't do this because it's just more and more time every week. And it's not really, it's not really getting me anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's yep. like, it's just sort of just charity. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want, like, I have to draw a line on this at some point. Otherwise yep. it's going to be really, really rough. Yeah. I know I've seen a couple of people, you know, you message them on there and says, I'm sorry, this individual is not accepting D- private DMs from, you know, individuals. It's like, okay. So, yeah. And that's just like yeah, asking one question. It's a survival mechanism. I, I can understand it, man. I can see it from that point of view, especially when you join the meteor and everything, you blow up in such a big way. Yep. And so pretty much I just, I'll send out an email and be like, Oh, well they haven't responded to me. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. It's not that hard to get a hold of people. If you really want to, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's ways to do it, but you have to gate gatekeep that a little bit. Otherwise it really gets out of control. Yep. I'd love to have Steve on the show. But yeah, good luck. Nope. I like I said, love too. That's like dream level. That's not reality. That dude. I, I'll say this about that guy. He, he, anybody who's like, hey, I'm pretty busy. That He's, guy is crazy busy. I, I mean, yeah. When you get to that level the amount of things that he's got his hand, his fingers in or whichever way you want to call classify it. 
I mean, I've seen guys that are really that level of famous or that level of businessy. They have no free time unless it's with their family and that's it. Yep. And dude, people don't really understand how famous he is. Yeah. Like he, you know, we, we think like, Oh, Steve is like this, you know, he's like one of the most famous hunters. He's like crazy famous outside of hunting. It's, it's really weird. And so he's like pretty guarded about that stuff because you can't like you walk through an airport with him or whatever, that guy's going to have people come up to him and talk to him and whether he's with his family or not, or, you know, like he's, he's at a level that's wild. Yeah. Wild. And I made it a point for me is if I see somebody like if I were in an airport and I see him walking through or so, I just nod at him and continue on my way. Yeah. I mean, unless I'm doing something like a podcast with you or anybody, you know, I'm meeting in a professional thing or I know them personally. I'm not going to approach them like that. I mean, there's no, there's no real sense to doing that. No. Well, you're one of the good ones then. (laughs) Yep. I mean, yeah, it's like you try to do something and it'll just probably fail immediately. It's like, I mean, yeah, when I tried doing the podcast and I think we talked about this earlier, it's like I contacted some, you know, did the general info, didn't get anything. I'm like, okay, try another Avenue. There's no sense in trying to, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, Yeah, build yourself up. And then eventually like a buddy of mine said, you make connections and then you can work through the connections. Yep. For sure. But, but nothing that big or anything. <laughs> oh, I know we went through down a rabbit hole from wherever that came from. <laughs> yep. But thank you for coming on, Tony. It's been fun and a great learning about uh, your point of view for certain things in the disabled world. And hope to have you on in the future or whatnot and talk to you and go from there pretty much. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate you coming on. So, and uh, remember, everybody, stay adaptive.